Our scripture reading this afternoon is from Luke 1. The passage can be found on page 10 of the bulletin and will be projected above. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate it. Uh, okay, uh, kids, I mentioned your Trinity Kids bulletin that was in that bag. You can grab that now. And um, I'm going to give you three things here to listen for, and there's a spot where you can write these down. The first um, is chips and dips. Secondly, uh, C.S. Lewis. And thirdly, so what? Chips and dips, C.S. Lewis, so what? With that, let me, uh, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that it is absolutely true. We thank you, Lord, that you've given it to us because you love us. And so, Father, we pray that today we would see Jesus, that we would behold him in all of his beauty and all of his glory. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, many of you, I'd say probably most of you, uh, know the name, uh, Tim Keller. Uh, he was a pastor in New York City, a pastor in our denomination, and uh, wrote many books. And um, as you probably know, if you're familiar with that name, he has had a massive impact on our church. Um, he died of pancreatic cancer in May, and towards the end of his life, uh, his son Michael was posting these occasional updates. So you'd get these things every now and again of things that, uh, that Tim had prayed for. So this was one of the things that, that he said in some of his final days. I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. And, um, you know, anytime you hear something like that, a person's final words, there's obvious power to those words. Because what happens most of the time in those cases is that they're communicating something that, that is incredibly important to them. And in this case, it's this beautiful statement of his longing to see Jesus. Um, uh, a number of years ago, I, uh, I saw an interview with uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, and uh, the, the interviewer asked him this. He said, what would you tell your children and grandchildren on your deathbed, deathbed specifically about Jesus? What would you want your kids to know about Jesus? Which is a great question to think about, right? And it was the situation that Tim Keller uh, found himself in. Here's how Wright answered that question. Just read the Gospels more. Many Christians in our day treat the Gospels, as a friend of mine said, as the optional chips and dips at the beginning of the meal, which you could sort of take it or leave it, but then you go sit at the table for the red meat of Pauline theology. And that's, as it were, where we're all headed. And I want to say, look, I love Paul. Paul's fantastic. He's been the stuff of my life. He's a Pauline scholar. He's been the stuff of my life. But the dynamism of the Gospels and the person who walks out of those pages to meet us is just central and irreplaceable. And he's always a surprise. We never have Jesus in our pockets. He's always coming at us from a new angle. Jesus is absolutely in the middle. If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, Look to Jesus. If you want to know what love is, 
Look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus and go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama, which has him as its central character. And what's so great about both of those quotes is, that, is what they have in common is that Jesus is absolutely central to all of life. And that knowing him is the most important thing in life, period. And if you've been around Trinity uh, for a while, you, you know that, that one of the things we say often is that there is no more important question for a person to wrestle with and answer than the question, who is Jesus? And that's, uh, that, that's true for everybody. It's true whether you are here today, and maybe this is the first time you've been in a church, the first time you've cracked open a Bible. And it's also true if you've been following Jesus for the whole of your life. Everybody has to wrestle with that question. And as Wright says, there's obviously no better place to look to answer that question than to the Gospels. And so that's what we're going to do uh, for this, uh, this ministry year through, through May. We're going to look specifically uh, at the Gospel of Luke. So a little bit about Luke. Uh, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. Uh, he was a Gentile, not a Jewish man. Um, and he actually wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. So he wrote Luke and Acts, which is really one book in two parts. Um, but those books combined are more than all of Paul's letters combined. Uh, it's the longest gospel of the four that we have. Um, Luke, uh, at some point, was actually traveling with Paul, so he got to spend quite a bit of time with Paul, and it's almost certain that he used Mark's gospel as one of his main, uh, main sources. We'll talk some about that in a bit. Um, he was also a really educated man, um, not just as a physician, but the kind of language he uses is a pretty sophisticated Greek that you find throughout this book. And actually, this passage is one long Greek sentence, these four verses. And, and here's the thing that you see in his gospel, though. Uh, what he emphasizes about Jesus and Jesus' mission is that Jesus is one who comes to seek and save the lost. And so this, this picture that you get of Jesus is of him constantly moving towards people um, who would have been sort of on the margins of society. And so he's, he's constantly moving towards those who are poor. He interacts with people who are called the tax collectors and sinners, those who were, were notorious for, for being sinful people, he moves towards them in love. Uh, you find women playing a huge role in Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke. And you see him uh, over and over again with people who were outcasts. And, uh, and, and, and what you see over and over again in all of those instances is him bringing this grace, this forgiveness, this healing, and this salvation to them. And so that's what we're going to see over and over again as we make our way uh, through the Gospel of Luke. This week, though, we're starting at the very beginning. And uh, this is really like a preface or a prologue. And uh, it's only four verses long, as you saw when, when Emily read this. And uh, Luke is the only Gospel writer to give us an intro uh, that's like this. And so all intros are important, but here's the thing you've got to remember. Um, they wouldn't have been reading or writing in a book that looks like this. Uh, the Gospel of Luke originally would have been on a scroll. And so if you think about unrolling a scroll, then you've got to have an intro that's really going to say clearly what you're going to talk about. Because you can't flip back and forth and see chapter headings and, and go back to the table of contents. And so you've got to be clear in, in what the book is all about. And that's what, uh, what he's doing uh, in these four verses. And he says he's writing to this man named Theophilus. That just means lover of God. We actually don't know anything else about him except that this letter or the, the, this gospel was written to him and then also the book of Acts was written to him. Here's what's so helpful about this preface. Luke tells us exactly why he's writing this gospel. 
He wants to, to provide this, this true, orderly, historically reliable account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And here's the reason why, verse four. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That's Luke's purpose for us. And so here's what he's saying to us. Here's what I want us to see this afternoon as we look at these four short verses. It's that you can know who Jesus really is because Luke gives us a reliable, historically accurate account. You can really know who the real Jesus is. So uh, two points. Here's the first. Um, Why you can be certain about who Jesus is. And then secondly, why it matters uh, that you can be certain about who Jesus is. So first, why you can be certain. So a couple reasons that, that Luke mentions here. Um, one is that, that you can be certain because uh, he has done his research. It's been rigorously researched. So a couple of places you see this. First is verse one. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Okay, so here's what's interesting about this. Uh, Luke says that there have been other accounts written of the life of Jesus. He doesn't say any of them were wrong or incorrect. He's not trying to, I mean, I'm sure there were some that were incorrect, but he's not trying to, uh, to rewrite anything here. He actually puts his gospel alongside these. And as I mentioned, um, he traveled all over with Paul. We read that in Acts. And so you gotta think about all the interaction that Luke would have had with Paul. And then it's also almost certain that, that, uh, that he was dependent upon Mark's gospel in writing his own. And so he has read and, and knew that gospel well. Here's what's important about it. Luke had read all of these things. He's familiar with all of these sources. He's done his research. Look at verse three then. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So a couple things that are important that he says here. Luke says that he's followed all these things closely. And uh, some translations say that, that he investigated these things. And the point is that, that Luke cares about the accuracy of these facts. And he says, after having done his research, he's gonna put it all together in this orderly account. And when you, you find that word in other Greek literature, it, it's supposed to let the reader know that, that this work has been thoroughly researched and now it's pre- presented in a way to provide you confidence that what you are reading is historically accurate. And so the, the point is just to say, Luke has done his homework and he wants you to know that. And that's actually one of the reasons you can have certainty about his gospel. Here's the second, you can have certainty about his account because it's verifiable. So what do I mean by that? If you look back to verse two, you'll see this. He says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers, uh, ministers of the word have delivered them to us. And that word for, for eyewitnesses is a really important one. I guess that when you hear that word eyewitness, uh, you probably think of an eyewitness in a courtroom, right? In this forensic setting, which is not exactly what, uh, what Luke is doing here. But what he does mean is that he's talked with people who actually saw Jesus. He ta- he's talked with people who were actually with Jesus. Who were these people? It at least includes the disciples, right? The 12, but there were actually way more uh, than just those 12. So in 1 Corinthians 15, this passage we read earlier, um, Paul gives us this whole list of people that actually saw the risen Jesus. So here's what he says in that passage. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Here's what's real interesting though. He, he adds this really important phrase. He says, most of whom are still alive. Okay, well, 
Why would that matter? Why would it matter for him to say that these people are still alive? It matters because he's saying these eyewitness, uh, eyewitnesses are still alive so that you can go ask them for yourself. Paul is here inviting, uh, he's, he's writing in the 50s, Luke is probably writing in the early 60s, and the point is to say, you can go check this out for yourself. Go talk to any of these people that, that I'm pointing to here. It's a way of almost footnoting your work in the ancient world. There were eyewitnesses that saw this. There were a lot of people, and it's their accounts that I've heard. It's their accounts that I've read, it's their account that I've studied, and that's what I'm giving to you now. That's what I've delivered to you. Okay, so why, why is this uh, important for us to see? Uh, I think it's important for us to see because uh, there's a tendency uh, to view the Gospels in particular as, as something like myths or legends. And uh, Luke is saying here, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing here is writing history. And uh, what's interesting about that is that uh, that was actually a really po important part about how C.S. Lewis ended up becoming a Christian. So uh, when you uh, think about C.S. Lewis, you probably think about the books that he wrote. Think of Mere Christianity, uh, maybe about Chronicles of Narnia or the Space Trilogy. Um, but by vocation, uh, he was actually a scholar of medieval literature and he was steeped uh, in ancient mythology. And so the point is that he knew all about the way that myths and legends were written. He knew that the way that they sounded, he knew the way they were written and, and felt. And here's what he says about the Gospels. This is in your bulletin if you want to take a look. He says, now as a literary historian, I am perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels are, they are not legends. I've read a great deal of legend, and I am quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. They are not artistic enough to be legends. And it's not like he's kind of like throwing shade on, on the gospel writers here about not being artistic enough. He's saying, this is not the same genre. I know what a myth looks like. Uh, this is not it. The gospels read like historical narrative because that's what they are. And so here's the big point that Luke's making. He's saying, I'm not writing some sort of fantasy. I'm not writing some sort of mythological tale about this guy named Jesus. He's saying, I have studied and investigated all of what's been written about this man. I've talked to these eyewitnesses who were with him, who saw him. I've spent a lot of time with those very same people so that what I'm giving you now is this historically accurate, reliable, orderly account of the person and work of Jesus. That's why you can be certain about who Jesus is. Okay, so let me press pause here. Um, that was a little teachy right? Um, there's a lot of content there. Um, and I had, a, uh, I had a preaching professor who would tell the story of a, of a preaching professor who would say, I, wanna, I want you to picture me sitting in the back of the sanctuary in every one of your sermons with a big sign that says, so what? Pretty good question to get at uh, the relevance for us, right? Okay, uh, so, so what? Why does that matter? Why would it matter that you can be certain about who Jesus is. So that's our second point. I'm gonna suggest three reasons. One is that uh, it shows that, that the Bible and the God of the Bible can handle your questions. And um, th this is important for a lot of reasons. I think this is really important for you to know, especially if you're here today and you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian. Because I, I think um, one of the most common misconceptions about Christianity is that in order to be a Christian, you've got to sort of check your brain at the door, suspend questions, suspend rational thought, leave those questions aside, 
and then just believe a whole bunch of stuff for which there's really not good reasons to believe. And, and the thing is, is that that is not Christianity. That is not what Christianity is. The, 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 and this was actually a really important uh, thing for me as I was becoming a Christian to know that you can actually ask questions of the Bible, the big questions, the hard questions, and that the Bible can actually stand up to them. And it's not just the, that the Bible can stand up to you those questions, the God of the Bible can stand up to your questions. And the beautiful thing that you see is that the, the, the Bible gives us these real historical intellectual reasons to believe. Um, one of the, uh, the best examples of this is actually in the Bible, and it's of Thomas. Uh, this is John 20, where uh, uh, Thomas struggles to believe that, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. He's heard it from the disciples, and he says, unless I can put my hand uh, in the, unless I can see the wounds in his hand and put my finger in that wound, or put my hand in his side, he says that I will never believe. And uh, Thomas sort of gets thrown under the bus a lot as the one who doesn't believe when in fact none of the disciples did initially. After the women tell them about it, they say it seemed to them an idle tale. But what's amazing uh, is what happens, uh, what Jesus does in response to Thomas's doubts and questions. He moves towards him and he invites Thomas to, to have his questions answered. He gives Thomas reasons to believe. And so he says, go ahead, put your hand in my side. See that, that, that it is really me. Which, by the way, is another example of the historic reliability of the Gospels. Because if you're making up an account that's not true, but that you want people to believe, you're probably not going to include something in there about how all of the founders of the faith didn't believe it at first, right? That's not, not going to uh, be a good story to sell. The, the, the better way to explain this is that this is what actually happened, and that's why it's included in there. But, but here's what this means for us. The Lord is going to take your questions seriously, but that means that we have also got to take our questions seriously. And here's what I mean by that. You've got to be honest enough with your doubts and your questions to pursue answers to them. So we can talk about how the, the, the Bible can handle your questions, but the, the real question is you've got, uh, about whether you will be willing to actually pursue honest answers. And so that's what I'd encourage you to do. And, and it may be that, that you actually today have specific questions or things that nag at you about the Bible or uh, even broader questions about Christianity. I want you to feel free to reach out to me, to Andy, to Susan, reach out to one of our elders or women shepherding team members, um, we'd love to talk with you about that and point you in the direction uh, of some really helpful resources that, that could help to answer those questions. Um, one is another book by Tim Keller uh, called The Reason for God. Uh, this is a fantastic book that, that gets at some of those most basic questions uh, that, that arise. So that's one uh, reason that this is so important, why this matters. The Bible can handle our questions. Secondly, it's important to know that with certainty who Jesus is because the Christian gospel is good news, not just some sort of good advice. And so um, gospel is kind of one of those words that, that gets used a lot, uh, but uh, it's sometimes one that's not uh, always super clear uh, to everybody. And uh, it's a really important word, though, because at the heart of Christianity is this gospel message. And it is what makes Christianity unique among all other religions. And so if you were to sort of boil down all other religions, in general, what you find at the end of the day is that they are going to tell you how to live. 
that at the end of the day, it's an ethical way of life. And so you need to live by a certain code in a certain way in order to make yourself right with God or attain some sort of salvation, however you would define that. But at the end of the day, it is about what you do. Christianity, on the other hand, depends completely on events that actually happened in history. Such that Christianity stands or falls with whether Jesus really was born of a Virgin Mary, whether he really did suffer under Pontius Pilate, whether he really was crucified, died, and was buried, whether he really did rise on the third day and ascend to the right hand of his Father. See, the, the gospel is a, historic, a historical announcement about the person and work of Jesus. And what Luke is saying is that you can know that this message is true, that this really is good news because it really did happen. And so I'm gonna tell you all about it in this book of mine. So that's the, the, the second reason it matters. Third follows from that, so uh, it's this. It's important that you can have a certainty about who Jesus is because only the real Jesus brings the forgiveness and rescue that you need. So um, one of the things that, that Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Luke, this is after his resurrection, uh, he's walking on the, the road to Emmaus with these two people. And uh, it says that the, uh, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And what he says there and then later on in Luke chapter 24 to the disciples is that the entire Bible is about him. The law, the prophets, and the writings are all about him from start to finish. And that theme is, uh, is something we're gonna see throughout Luke's gospel, that all of the Old Testament promises of salvation find their fulfillment in Jesus. And so here's the thing about that. Um, that's really important for how we understand the Bible. But the, the, the thing about this is that it also means something absolutely crucial for us personally. And let me put it negatively. If Jesus didn't really live, if he didn't really die, if he didn't really rise from the dead, then everything we're doing is a total waste of time here. And that's pretty much exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain, it's, it's vanity, it's worthless. That we are still in our sins, we've still got that problem. And that we are, of all people, the most to be, be pitied. That's the way to put it negatively. Let me put it positively. Because Jesus really did die on the cross, because he really did rise from the grave three days later, then your salvation is certain if you've put your faith in him. And so another way to say this is that the, the, the wonderful claim of the Bible is that your salvation depends not on what you do, but on what Jesus has done in history in real time. And I, I, I want you to know uh, that there is so much freedom in that. Because what you have in Jesus is someone who knows the absolute worst about you and who still loves you. What you have in, in Jesus, the real Jesus, is someone who is absolutely and completely and fully aware of all of your sin of all of your struggles, of all of your addictions, of all of the things that you are painfully ashamed of, the things that still make you cringe when you remember them. And he is the one who has died once and for all to forgive you for all of those things. In Jesus, you have somebody who knows the sorrow, the sadness, and the suffering of your life, and who will one day wipe away every tear from your eye and make all things new.
And the reason that you can be certain about all of those things is because Jesus really did live. He really did die, and he really did rise from the grave. See, that is the Jesus that Luke wants you to know. And it's the the Jesus that offers himself to you and actually calls you to put your faith in him. That's the invitation to you. Will you do that? Let me pray for us. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise uh, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and that you have given us this gospel account in which we read of this true Jesus, the one who lived and died and, and was raised for us. And so, Father, we pray that even as we enter into this, uh, this season of studying this great gospel together, that you would enable us to behold Jesus, that we would see him for who he really is, for what your word really says about him, and that we would meet him in that place, that you, by your spirit, would use your word to enable us to know him more. We pray this all for his glory and for our good. Amen.